0: call it Vision Sunday, for lack of a better name. Um, Next Sunday uh, will be different in that we will spend a good portion of our service hearing God speak through each other around the idea of God's vision for our church. But I hope that no one would come next week and not have prepared your heart in advance. I mean that, I I want to be very strong about that. Don't just show up and start shooting from the hip things that you have not prayed and laid before God. That would be a distraction. Be in prayer. If you haven't been in prayer this week, you've lost a week. I asked you to do that last week. You have one week to be in prayer. God, what is it that you want us to do as a church? Our mission is very clear. It's the mission of the church, universal. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's unequivocal. That is our mission. The Great Commission is your commission, it's my commission, it is the Church's commission, it is the Church Universal's commission. Our mission is to make disciples, to baptize, to teach and help people grow in Jesus Christ. What we'll be discussing next Sunday is the vision. Think of it in this way. If this particular church was parachuted into The slums of a major city in India, how would we accomplish the Great Commission in that context? That would be your vision. If this church was present in a coffee shop in urban London, England. How would this church fulfill the Great Commission within that context? If this church was parachuted into a community a rural community in Africa, how would we fulfill the Great Commission within the context of that community? Sadly, the church has adopted a one-size-fits-all approach to being the church. I don't think that's what God had in mind (laughs) at all. God has a specific plan. Dale has just told us about the specific plan that he had for each individual life, each one of us, and God has called us to this body of believers, this fellowship known as New Glasgow Christian Church, and you can each point to how God has drawn you and brought you to this place, and each one of you brings different gifts and gifting to this ministry. And he has a purpose that is related to his mission for this church in this context. New Glasgow, North Shore, PEI. How are we going to fulfill the Great Commission within that context? That's what I want you to be in prayer about because that's what we're gonna discuss. Because we believe God has called us to be a holy church within this context, this community. How are we going to do that? It's like a, a blank canvas at this point because we wanna be totally obedient. We do want to come with preconceived notions We don't want to come with our minds manned up. We don't want to come and apply that one-size-fits-all template. We want to seek earnestly what it is that God wants to do in this church to fulfill the Great Commission. We have one more week. We've been praying. A small group of us have been praying back there for six, on six evenings over the course of the last month and a half. And we'll continue to pray as we see this unfold. This is God directing us. And I believe with all of my heart that if we pray in preparation, and I'll say it again, if you don't pray, don't talk next week, (laughs) seriously. You haven't prepared your heart to say something. You haven't brought your thoughts to God and submitted them to God. Don't just show up and fire off the hip. Come next week having prayed. You you might have something that occurs to you next week that you're gonna wanna speak, but you will have prayed, God, use me. How can I help in this formulation? And so next week is going to be a formative week in the life of this church, and I encourage each and every one of you to be in prayer. Ask God, and I believe with all of my heart that God, whose spirit is in each one of us, will speak to us, and there will be a resonance amongst us. There will be a sense of, of amen, a sense of thus saith the Lord, a sense of this is what God wants us to do. I believe that with all my heart because I believe that God has called each one of you here. I believe that God has a mission for this place. So pray. That's not your sermon. We've been studying what Moses learned about building a holding nation and trying to apply those lessons to our journey towards building a holy church. Today is the end of that series. And I want to complete it with the most important lesson. I want to talk about the foundation upon which Moses and the Israelites were to build the Holy Church. It was the law. The law. Now, the law has been sort of misrepresented in many of our minds as, as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is just a portion, a small portion actually, of the law. In fact, Jewish theologians uh, centuries ago actually studied, you know, and uh, you'll find the law in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Uh, they studied it and they came up with a number. Does anybody know the number? You actually can go to a library and find a book of paintings, some Jewish painter painted one painting for every one of the commands in the law. Do you know how many there are? 613. 613 commands in the law of Moses. And that was to be the foundation of the holy nation. It was like a blueprint that God gave to Israel On how they were to be a holy, set apart, unique, godly nation in their context. 630 mandates. Some were dietary, some were health related, some were worship, some were legal requirements but it was a blueprint for a holy nation. Let me me remind you of the word of God as found in Deuteronomy 6, and then we're going to read from Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, Moses said, To observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestor, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. 613 commands. Deuteronomy 30. Now, what I'm commanding, this is verse 11. What I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's it's in your mouth. It's in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed." You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing, curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the law was a blueprint that if they went in, this is how they were to function. This is how they were to be a holy, set-apart nation, by obeying the law that God had given to them. Which begs, begs the question, as we, seek to build a holy church. Are we required to enter into that same covenant? You see, the law was not just a blueprint. It was a covenant. It was a bilateral agreement between Israel and God. You just heard it. If you obey, I will bless. (laughs) If you disobey, you will be cursed. It was a bilateral agreement. So here we are, seeking to learn lessons from Moses and Israel as a holy nation. Are we supposed to enter into that same covenant? Well, absolutely and of course not. Because of Christ, we are called to enter into that new covenant that Dale just read about. It was foretold. This wasn't sort of a, oh, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose from the grave. 200 years later, we sort of said, well, let's make sense of this stuff. Let's let's just sort of create some kind of uh, religion around Christ that makes sense of all this. No, in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, we find these words of God through the prophet. Behold, the day is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, that's 613 commands, my covenant that they broke, so we know what how the bilateral agreement went. Though I was a husband, I was faithful, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now remember, Christ has not even appeared on the scene. This is during the, the era of prophets. This is hundreds of years before Jesus will show up. And I will, so it says there, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each other brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. He said, I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, a new covenant. And of course, Christ is the one, and we just remembered this in the Lord's Supper, that initiated this new covenant. Isn't that incredible? We kind of rush over that a little bit, but think about it. Israel, all those 12 disciples that were sitting there, they were sitting there, and, and they had been under the Mosaic covenant. For them their lives, their parents' lives, their ancestors, and for generation they've been underneath this one covenant, and at that moment, Jesus took the cup and he says, this is a new covenant. A new bilateral arrangement. That's incredible. This is a new covenant. It starts today. between your God and yourselves. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What's being said here? Let me remind you from reading from Hebrews, that that book of the New Covenant or the New Testament that we studied last year, chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities. For, For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. His body was to be that sacrifice, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you weren't pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, scroll, I have come to do your will. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which never take away the sins of man. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Remember, Jesus said, It is finished. And since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because one day they will. And for by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then he refers back to this writer of Hebrews, hundreds of years before Jeremiah after Jeremiah, refers back to while he's trying to describe this new covenant and why we have a new covenant and how Christ fulfilled the old covenant on our behalf, he refers back to Jeremiah. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts and I will write it on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So we learn from Hebrews that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death of the perfect lamb satisfied once and for all God's holy requirements for atonement. And in fact, in chapter 13 of Hebrews, we we read, in speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And so the old covenant became obsolete obsolete because God in Jesus Christ made it obsolete by being that perfect sacrifice. Now I hope you're still with me. That's some heavy sledding on covenant stuff. But it's logical. <laughs> One could logically ask then, how is this new covenant a covenant or bilateral agreement? If Christ has done everything, and we're not under those 613 rules anymore. Christ has done everything for us. What's there left for us to do? How can it be a bilateral? What are my responsibilities? I understand what God's responsibilities were. Where he did it, he he did it in Christ. He he, he atoned for those um, who would put their faith in him, but what's my responsibility? Well, firstly, I've said it, haven't I? We have to accept in faith that there's nothing we can do other than trust that Christ has done all that needs to be done to make us holy. We just have to trust and believe that what Jesus came to do, he accomplished. We have to believe that. And if we believe that, we've done the first thing towards our responsibility in this new covenant. We have to believe. Romans 3.21 says this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We are made right with God. We are made holy if we simply have faith in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to have faith that Jesus accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish and what God has put in scripture he accomplished. That he was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atonement for our sin. And all we have to do is have faith in that. The Israelites had to go into the land and they had to obey 613 commands. We have to believe that's impossible. We can't become right with God that way. It's impossible. And we have to believe that Jesus did it on our behalf. The second thing that's required of us in this bilateral agreement, this new covenant, is that we have to love God and we have to love one another. It's as simple as that and it is as ridiculously hard as that. (laughs) It is simple. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, love God, love others. Whoopee, that's easy. They had 613 things they had to write on their doorposts they had to teach their kids they had to memorize them they had to do them all we got to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ that he took care of that for us done and love God and love others easy peasy Jesus was asked Out of the 613 commands in the law, which one was the greatest? (laughs) There's a lot to choose from, right? Which is the greatest, Jesus? This was his answer. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, This is the first and greatest command, and the second is like it, which means that you can't separate it from it. It's impossible, it's inseparable. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus, in his answer, is saying something really interesting about those 613 commands. There were ways of loving God and loving man. 613 ways to do it. (laughs) To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. For us, we know we can't accomplish that. We can't do it. It's impossible. We are born with a sin nature. And we rebel against it. We can't do it. So we trust Jesus has done it. And then we use a principle. I'll put it on their hearts. Right? Jeremiah said, it's going to be a heart thing. I'll, I'll just put it on their heart. They have to obey or they have to function out of hearts that love me and love each other. That's the second part of the bilateral agreement known as the New Covenant. Jesus' loved and trusted disciple John said this, about this command to love God and love each other. In verse John 4, we read, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God, everyone who, who loves and has been born, sorry, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In order for Israel to become a holy nation, it needed to fulfill its part of the bilateral agreement by obeying the 613 commands of the law. In in order for this church to become holy, we need to fulfill our part of the bilateral agreement known as the New Covenant by putting our faith in Jesus Christ's fulfillment of the law, loving God, and love each other. In fact... And I love this. <laughs> the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can do the holiest stuff. You can be holy, Job. Holy. You can be really holy. Super righteous. Do super righteous stuff. Be really religious. Really awesome. And if you don't love... You're a gong show. You're a gong show. If you don't love, you can do all kinds of holy stuff. You're a gong show. I'll show you the most excellent way, Paul writes. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not love... I'm a resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's pretty cool stuff. Speaking really eloquently, or speaking in another language maybe. But if I don't love, you're just making a racket. Noisy, dissonant, Noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, you're nothing. Well, I'm doing this holy stuff, man. I'm doing holy stuff. Nothing. Don't waste your time. You're wasting your time. You're not proving anything to anybody. Some people will be fooled by how holy you are. But in my eyes, God says, You're nothing. They're useless. You're wasting your time. You're bothering me. <laughs> if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Listen to this love is patient love is kind it doesn't envy it doesn't boast it's not proud it it doesn't dishonor others it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails but where there are prophecies they'll cease where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, when it is part, when what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see. Only a reflection is in the mirror when we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is love. In order for Israel to become a holy nation, it had to fulfill the law. In order for this church to become a holy church, We need to believe that God has fulfilled the law, we need to have faith, and we need to love God, and we need to love each other. We don't need to try to look holy. We need to love God and others. Let me conclude by suggesting what this implies. In Scripture, love is never described as a sentiment a warm feeling in the center of our chest. Rather, it suggests that we treat each others as Christ has treated them, or has treated us. We read in Philippians 2, the attitude of love. Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Jesus or Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being In very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is how we love God. This is how we love each other. This is how we become a holy church. Now, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? How does this calling challenge us? How is God calling us to love him and others as Christ loves? So I want you to bow your heads for a minute, because I'm going to just go through some questions. I'm going to just tell you possibilities of what this might mean to you and to me as we seek to love God with our whole heart and to love each other as we love ourselves. Let this be sort of like a little test of how much you love God and how much you love others. God may want you to love him and others by spending quality time with him and quality time with others. God may want you to love him and others by forsaking distractions, even obsessions, that diminish your commitment to him and others. God may want you to love him and others by being patient, bearing with the less mature God may want you to love him and others by addressing the sin which is by nature self-centered and contradictory to love. And within the body of Christ, that includes not just your sin. It includes the sin of your brothers and sisters who have fallen into sin and need to be told by an objective observer you have Fallen into sin. Do you love someone in this body of Christ enough to address sin? Scripture is clear. That is our job. God may want you to love him and others by forgiving each other, by being reconciled to each other. God may want you to love him and others by serving the church by discovering your giftedness and using your gifts to strengthen the church. By equally investing in the life and mission of the church, God may ask you to love him and others by helping meet someone's needs inside and outside the church. To include those who aren't included to meet their practical needs when they fall on hard times, to mentor, to come along someone, to speak wisdom into their lives. God may want you to love him and others by listening to him and to others. God may want you to love him and love others by accepting the Great Commission as your personal mission. Not the work of the church, not the work of the clergy, your mission. God may want you, may want you to love him and love others by building trusting relationships with those who are lost. God may want you to love him and others by praying to him for opportunities to share the gospel. By following the Spirit's lead as you share the gospel. These are just some of the things that I can see Being challenging to us as we seek to love God and love others. That's all we have to do in this bilateral arrangement known as the New Covenant is we have to love God and love others. That is our job. We do not have to put 613 commands on a doorpost. Christ Jesus took care of that. He fulfilled the law for us. It's out of the way. you got to love God with all of your heart, and you got to love others as you love yourself. You might be thinking, I didn't sign up for this when I decided to go to church or accept Jesus as my Savior. Well, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> That's exactly what you signed up for. That's what you signed on to. That stuff I was just talking about, it wasn't sort of like pieces of this here and there. It was like all of it. There's going to be some that are better at sort of building relationships with people who are lost in our community. That doesn't let you off the hook. just means that they're better at it because you're better at something else. But this is what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, I'm here because I need help. I'm the one who needs encouragement. I'm the one who needs hope. I need people to fill into my life. Well, it's gonna disappoint you to know that Jesus' offer of help isn't a pity party. It is not a lifetime investment in you and your needs. Did you hear that? That's not what you signed on to. (laughs) Jesus did not bring you on the team so that you could just be continually blessed and built up and (laughs) re-encouraged. Now, don't get me wrong. I know better than anybody. There's going to be times when you will need that, and that's part of it but that is just so that you get back in the saddle again and start being the person Jesus Christ brought you into the team for. It's not a perpetual state of victimhood. It's not about you. <laughs> it is isn't. It isn't about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. This is the call to those who seek to live a holy life and seek to build a holy church. Are you in? Are you in? It's not a small thing. Jesus said it's easier to get through the eye of a needle. Jesus said the path is very narrow. It's not that wide path you see everybody going down. Jesus said, you want to be a follower of me? Here's your cross. Every day, haul it around with you. You walk with a cross daily. That's what it is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. I believe with all of my heart that God is making, calling us to be that type of follower of Jesus Christ. To be a church that will figure out a way, figure out God's way of how we can be that church in this context. It's not one size fits all. It would be really weird if we got parachuted into a leper colony and just do, do what we're doing now, <laughs> right? That would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. So let's find out what his vision is. And it's not a vision for 90 minutes of church. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> but what we're doing here is just, oh, just such a small part of what God's vision is for this place. Which is so hard for us to understand because most of us, this is our church experience. This is church, but this isn't church. Church is, is your life. It's everything you do. It's how you live life. What you do with your money. What you do with your time. What motivates you? And so, it's a high calling. Don't come back next Sunday. And, <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. It's a high calling. It's a high calling. But, don't fool yourself. That's what you signed up for. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, most of all. I really, really thank you that you don't leave our salvation or making things right with you up to us. Because I think I'd get to rule three and blow it. Thank you for teaching us through the law what sin is. And then coming and satisfying the holy requirements of the law yourself on our behalf, thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. And I thank you that you have called each one here to the high calling of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You left the work that you left undone in our hands for this area of Prince Edward Ad. there's work to be done Lord help us figure out how we're going to do that how we're going to fulfill that work that you've left for us to do whatever it takes Lord we want to do it because as Paul said where would we go <laughs> where would we go if we didn't follow you. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.